All right, well, my name is Doug. I'm the campus pastor here at Parkview East, and it's a joy to be able to worship with you this morning, especially on Easter morning. Um, just a quick note, here at Parkview East, we love kids, all right? Give it up for our kids real quick. We love kids here. We love kids. Um, however, there's no Sunday school this morning, right? So all of our kids, we love them so much that they're right in here with us this morning, okay? So as a result, we're going to be, we only take ourselves so seriously around here, okay? And so if there's some commotion, some noise on cue, we, we celebrate that, okay? We're, we're glad with that. So however, parents, just so you know, there is a room out there that has some toys. And so if your kiddo needs a break, um, you're welcome to have that, um, that room as long as you need it, all right? Well, we're here, as, as Pastor John mentioned, to celebrate. And um, I can tell many of you came ready to celebrate Easter Sunday, right? The, the resurrection story is one that is worth celebrating, right? The, 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 the story that we just heard Pastor John read is worth celebrating. It's a remarkable story. And Easter really is a fun time. It's a beautiful day outside. You know, last night, just even as we were kind of getting some things ready, um, you know, for our, for our kids with sort of, you know, what we're going to do, the festivities for today, maybe some Easter bastics were on the horizon in the morning. You know, I heard one of my children utter the words, the words I think every parent loves to hear. Um, I am so excited for Easter, I'm going to go to bed now, right? <laughs> Mom and I secretly rejoiced. This is a time of celebration. We are so glad that you are here to celebrate with us this morning. I, I hope today truly is special for you. The story of the empty tomb gives us plenty of reason to celebrate. But the question I want to ask this morning is, we have lots of reason to celebrate this morning as we consider the resurrection story. But the question I want to pose is, what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? I think that's a real question, right? Easter is but one day of the year. And in many ways, today is not like the others, right? Hiding candy and plastic eggs around the yard. Like if that's a, a thing you do on a daily basis, you might, I might have some questions for you, okay? Today is not like every other day. So the question is, question is, does it really matter tomorrow? Does the resurrection mean anything for Monday morning? How does the reality of the empty tomb impact the mundane, trivial, and sometimes disappointing realities of life? Does it impact? Well, there's another story in the Bible that I think will help us answer that question this morning. As a church, we have been walking through some pretty important statements that Jesus made throughout his life in ministry. Um, the I am statements. Maybe you are familiar with those statements, right? Um, last week, we looked at Jesus declaring himself to be the good shepherd. This week, we're going to look at a passage right on the heels of John chapter 10 in John chapter 11, where Jesus declares himself to be fitting for Easter morning, the resurrection and the life. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them this morning. Um, 
Parkview East, we love kids and we love the Bible. And so we encourage you, if you are a regular attender, if you come and visit with us, bring your Bible. If not, I think Craig already passed them out, but there's some more. You could raise your hand. But the, the words we're going to be reading, you're going to need a book to follow along. And so I would encourage you to open that up. Just put your hand up if you need a Bible and Craig will put one in it. Got one up front here, Craig. We're in John chapter 11. And I'm going to read 17 through 25 and then I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. I just, the kids are in here this morning. My voice is a little tired, perhaps you've noticed, and so we're going to, I'm going to try to move us along, okay? So John chapter 11, I'll start reading at 17, and then we'll stop here in actually 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Let us pray. Father God, we gather here this morning, and um, we do so for a purpose. Lord, we gather as a people to celebrate a tomb that is still empty. Father, as we look at your word, we believe this word to be eternal. We believe this word to be true. Lord, and our prayer is simple this morning that you would take this word, you would make it clear to us, and you would etch it on our hearts, Father. But I pray that you would spend, send your spirit right now in this place. Guide us in all truth. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, in 1905, at around the same time as the Panama Canal was being dug in Central America, a channel of lesser distinction was being carved into the mountains of a remote outpost in the Pacific on the big island of Hawaii. The channel was called quite inelegantly the Gohala Ditch. To those living on the island, it was a gracious and a welcome addition to their island. The ditch captured rain in the west, in the wet districts of the mountains, and distributed water to the arid regions in the west, providing a lifeline to farmers and to ranchers who might otherwise have been ruined by drought. Some 600 Japanese workers used pickaxes and shovels and dynamite to fashion some 23 miles of this long ditch. Boring into volcanic hillsides, they constructed 57 tunnels. Negotiating gorges, they built numerous, numerous bridges. It was dangerous work, to be sure, 
and it exacted a heavy toll on the workers. 17 workers in total lost their lives in as many months as that ditch was under construction. The sacrifices of a few brought hope to many. With water now streaming westward, the Kohala ditch brought life to an entire region. Folks, a similar provision was made some 2,000 years ago as Jesus hung on the cross. His sacrifice for our rescue. His brokenness for our healing. His death for our life. And our lives have been changed for the better and forever as a result. The sign of the empty tomb, right? The tomb rolled away, the stone rolled away, and a tomb completely void of a body. Is a sign that what Jesus did matters for you and for me forever. The problem of death this morning we are confronted with as we examine the story of Lazarus. If you have been around church for very long, you may be familiar with this story. It may seem like an odd story to talk about on Easter Sunday. But hopefully you will see at the end of the day that it's a very fitting and appropriate story. Right away the story, we are confronted with the problem of death. Now just to give you a little bit of background real quick. Jesus is close friends with this particular family. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus are folks that Jesus knows well, if you are familiar with the Bible, you recognize these women's names. They've shown up throughout his life, throughout his ministry. There's a special devotion that characterizes this family, devotion to Jesus. Now, before this, Jesus had been doing ministry in Jerusalem. People were beginning to notice and not approve of what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was claiming, right? They were hearing what he was saying, and many of them had a problem with what Jesus claimed. Because, see, Jesus was disrupting the religious order of the day. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was making claims about himself that folks saw as blasphemy. And at this point, he had gathered a significant following, but others had seen him as a significant threat. So Jesus leaves the city, heads into the countryside, where he continues to teach and to minister. While Jesus is ministering, Lazarus, his friend, becomes sick, like seriously sick. Martha and Mary, they send for Jesus. They send ultimately for help. They know if Lazarus has a chance of pulling through, Jesus has to be involved. So they send for Jesus. Jesus hears the news and listen, when he, when he gets news of the condition of his sick friend, listen to how Jesus responds in verse 4. You can look if you want in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, he loved these folks. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, check how Jesus responds, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus hears that his friend is in need. Jesus understands in order for him, his friend to pull through, Jesus has to be involved. And so Jesus' response is to do nothing for two days. For two days. Folks, it's important as we consider even his response that this will ultimately not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. We are reminded that Jesus is never out of control. He acts with intentionality and with purpose. Nothing surprises Jesus. So even as we think about maybe our situation this morning, there is nothing in your life that has caught Jesus off guard, right? The worst hand, even the worst hand that this world can deal to us, Jesus can handle. It does not scare him. We're told in Isaiah that God's arm is not shortened and thank God his ear is not dull. He knows. He's in complete control. So after delaying some two days, Jesus says, all right, let's go to Bethany. The disciples, he goes with the disciples and, and their response is simply, are you crazy? Go, go, we're going back towards Jerusalem. They want to kill you there. It's not going to end well, Jesus. But Jesus knew Lazarus had fallen asleep. So we pick it up in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days at this point. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So word comes to the sisters, Jesus is on his way. And a bit of a role reversal for these two ladies, Martha runs out to greet Jesus while Mary remains in the house. This would have been customary. The custom would have been after, during a period of grieving and a mourning, you would stay in the home for a number of days. Mary is, is doing what is customary. Martha runs out to meet him. It's clear that these women have a significant problem. They are confronted with life's greatest disappointments. They have faced the ups and downs throughout life, but now they're faced to deal with life's greatest sting, the presence of death itself. Folks, Martha and Mary's problem is our problem. It's your problem and it is my problem. We can all relate to Martha and to Mary on some level as we live in a world that has been occupied by death. We have all in some way suffered from the pangs of living and of losing. Loss, in this room right now, we come from a variety of different places, right? Across town, across life. But if there is a common denominator in this room, it is death. It is loss. It is a problem that faces each and every one of us. Now, we live in a world where we have the luxury, some of us, of living as if it doesn't exist. But you can only do that for a brief moment of time. It's a common denominator for every single one of us. And as we navigate our small colony of life, which is under the occupation of death, 
Martha and Mary's problem is our problem. Life's disappointments and uncertainties are constant reminders of death's presence. There's a significant problem that these women face, and you and I share it this morning. So then we come upon, that's the problem of death. Next we come upon the person of Jesus. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's important as we read these verses that Martha is not rebuking Jesus. It may sound like a rebuke, but it's not a rebuke. She's asking him a question. It's a legitimate question to be sure. Where were you, Jesus? When I needed you the most, you didn't show up. Where were you? We sent word for you to come. Where were you, Jesus? Nowhere to be found. Folks, this is a question that many of us have asked. In fact, odds are that some of you this very morning are asking this very question. Brokenness, maybe. Abuse, trauma, pain, loss, suffering, rejection, disappointment, perhaps is a significant part of your story. This is the question. Where are you? If you're able to do all of this, you are what we need. Where are you? Folks, Martha's words represent a wonderful harmony of grief and of faith. Completely broken over the death of her brother, yet she has not lost her faith in Jesus. I don't know if you see this. I saw this just maybe last night for the first time in reading these words, which I've read many times. She is still completely convinced that Jesus could have done something, right? And her faith, her confidence in Jesus doesn't minimize her grief, her pain, or her loss, right? But likewise, she doesn't use the presence of death in her life as a reason to doubt Jesus. She still believes if you had been here, you could have done something. Jesus didn't show up. Lazarus is dead. But Martha, Martha knows better than to doubt Jesus. She still believes in his power. In her darkest hour, she may have lost her brother. She's broken and grieving, but she has not lost her confidence in Jesus. This is a beautiful picture. This is a beautiful picture because I don't know how many stories you may have come across where the opposite is what happens, right? Life gets difficult. You, someone you know, faces the certainty of death. Or disappointment. And as a result, the reaction is to abandon hope in God. Didn't show up. He's not capable. Not who he says he was. It's not how Martha responds. It's a beautiful picture. Of grief, which is real. Pain, which is real. And faith. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha has no idea what Jesus is about to do. We know this based, if you keep reading in verse 39, we know that she's not expecting him to raise him from the dead. Martha is falling back ultimately on her orthodox Jewish understanding of the final resurrection. The resurrection of the dead, it will take place. I am a good Jew, Jesus. I know that at the end he will be raised. There's no clue what Jesus is about to do. So then Jesus says, this is our I am statement, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The solution to Martha's problem, the cure for her pain, wasn't an abstract future belief or a distant, far away hope. Her solution was a present reality. It was standing in front of her face. Wrapped in flesh. She could reach out and touch the answer to her problem. When she needed Jesus, Jesus is who she needed. Excuse me. Jesus is exactly who she needed. Jesus redirects Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him, the one who alone can provide the resurrection. Jesus is what this family needs. Not just what he can do, but ultimately who he is. His very presence at work in their life. Just like we saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus doesn't just give the bread from heaven. Jesus declares that he is the bread of life. Jesus can raise from the dead, but Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. It's, it's possible, the, the amazing truth of this passage is that it is possible to take the eternal life that Jesus promises us and to immediately apply it, to immediately live it and to know it, right? He offers us life and life that's abundant and we don't have to wait for it. It's available right here and right now. Now the second half of verse 25, whoever believes in me, he says, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never, shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Jesus offers himself to her. And all that's required for her is belief. The answer to her problem is the person standing in front of her, right? And just like we share in her problem, the solution is the same. That's what's so amazing about the resurrection. Jesus is exactly, it's proof that he is exactly who he said he was. And he still offers us. He still makes himself available to us even now. So the third and final point. With the problem... We have the person, finally the practice, the practice of resurrection. Eventually Martha gets Mary, they're followed by a crowd, they go to Jesus. Mary's response is similar to Martha's. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus is moved by grief. He's not immune to their pain. He's not immune to their sorrow or to their loss. And Jesus himself begins to weep. Then in verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. 
and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. See, it's, it's evidence that she was not expecting what Jesus was about to do with her brother, right? Don't, don't open the tomb. It's going to stink. It's going to stink in there, right? For he's been dead for four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Again, going back, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly how this was going to play out. And he was in complete and total control of even for these women, what was the worst possible scenario it was not beyond his control. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound in linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now if you just for a moment put yourself in either these women's shoes or perhaps even Lazarus's shoes and I can guarantee you that what happened on this day changed everything. It changed everything. Not just the state of Lazarus' death, but the future trajectory of his life. And there, Mary and Martha, theirs as well. Everything was completely and totally different from this point forward. Now, now for us this morning, again, the question is, we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the tomb, Jesus' empty tomb. And he died on the cross and that death couldn't hold him, that he conquered and defeated death by breaking out of the tomb. We celebrate it, and it's good news for you this morning, ultimately for two reasons, for a whole host of reasons, but I'm going to put them into two categories, all right? And I want to get into the, the gritty work of taking this glorious truth, this glorious reality, and pushing the play button on your life. The first thing is the resurrection, it means something for you right now because it secures our destiny. Revelation 21, 4. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. The presence and the problem of death is completely gone. What wonderful news. And when many of us think of the resurrection, this is immediately, this is where I go to first. Our destiny, our future is secure, right? This is where our mind goes to first, and that is good. It is true, and it is absolutely glorious. It's good news, but it isn't all the news. It isn't, it's a good story, but it's not all of the story, right? We don't need the good news that makes it even better is that we don't have to wait for that end point for us to enjoy and experience and know eternal, true life. You can have it right now. That's the second point. Not just does it secure our destiny, it also supplies life right now. It matters tomorrow on your way to work. It matters as you sit around your table with your family. It matters how you go to school. It shapes and directs how you interact with your neighbor, how you love your spouse, care for your children, respond to your parents. It supplies life now. We can all experience the fullness of life right here and right now. Whoever you are, Wherever you come from, whatever secrets lie in your past, new life is offered to you right 
now. I think about that Kahala ditch, right? As that irrigation ditch was built across that island, I'm sure many of the citizens began to think of how it would change the whole trajectory of their life. Maybe bring more income, right? Maybe change generations of their families. But it also brought new life right then and there. Within a matter of months, you could see green vegetation growing around the ditch. It changed the entire landscape of that island right then and there. Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So as the Bible often talks about the Christian life is like a journey, it is like a walk, right? And that resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, the future hope it provides, it also shapes every step of life that we take. It gives us new life now. 1 Peter 1, 3. It is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living a hope. A hope that is not just future and distant. It's active right here, right now. The cross puts to death an old way of life. Jesus' empty tomb exchanges new life in place of the old. We can live in light of the reality of heaven right here, right now. Now, as we are confronted, this can be a problem to think through, okay, well, how does this look? Especially when we are confronted with the less than perfect realities of our world, right? Churches set ablaze, burned maliciously in our country. Humans being trafficked, right? In, in our own even, in our community. Corruption and deception seem to surround us around you know, every corner, right? Everywhere we look, we see the presence and the effect of death. It's like a blanket laid over our life. The new life that God gives us allows us as his followers, those who have received it, to see another way, right? Earth's realities, which we can't deny, are not ultimate realities, right? There's this wonderful poem. It's by uh, one of my favorite authors. His name is Wendell Berry. And it's kind of a, a weird title, Manifesto Mad Farmer Liberation Front, okay? So it's kind of a weird title, but it's a fantastic poem, and it speaks exactly to this point. The poem starts off, and it, 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 the first couple of lines, it, it speaks about a particular way of living that every one of us can probably see and identify with on some level. The first lines, love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay, want more of everything ready-made. Maybe you can identify with that life. Right? There's a particular way of this world that says, listen, it's all about the money in the bank. Right? You are your number one concern. And then about halfway, well, maybe a little less than halfway through the poem, it turns a corner with this phrase. So, friends, do something that won't compute. And then it, it begins to describe another way of living that does not compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. 
And as it goes through line by line describing a different way of living, the whole way of living that he's encouraging you to embrace is summed up with two words. And those words are simply this. Practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. Right? The challenge for us as we leave here this morning, as we come to embrace and to celebrate the empty tomb, the challenge for us, the challenge for you, and the challenge for me is to, as we leave, to practice that which we celebrate, to participate in a new life, newness of life, every step of the way, to practice what we celebrate, to practice what Jesus has done, practice resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus breathed new life into humanity. The picture of Lazarus coming out of the grave, wrapped in cloth, bound with strips of linen. The image of the tomb with the stone rolled away, lonely linen strips, is a declaration that there's a new way to be human. And it's not just a declaration this morning, it's an invitation. Jesus wants to invite you to come, to taste, and to see for yourself. There's a new way to be human. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to behave and to participate in resurrection living. New life, real Life. Jesus talked about it as abundant life, right here, right now. Embrace the new identity that Jesus freely gives you. Know true intimacy with God as you open up his book, as you pray in, in, in utter desperation. Ask and receive forgiveness at will. Welcome strangers, the marginalized, those who, who are different, who you don't know, into your home, into your life. Work and speak for, for peace and for justice, for healing and for truth, for sanctity and for beauty. There are thousands of trivial unexpected resurrection details that litter the landscape of your life and my life. Right now, the moment you walk out these doors, tomorrow on your way to work, practice resurrection. The practice of resurrection is not an attack on the world of death. Easter reminds us that that battle has been fought and that there is someone who won it and his name is Jesus. The resurrection, it's an open invitation to live eternity in time, right here, right now. Could you imagine Lazarus walking out of that tomb, right? Jesus commanding them to take off those grave clothes, take off the things that were binding him, even his face and the linens around his body. Could you imagine Lazarus freely choosing to put those grave clothes back on? Could you imagine it? The stench, the odor, even his sister said, it's going to stink in there, right? It would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. And it's just as ridiculous for a follower of Jesus to not actively practice this resurrection, to embrace it. Folks, as a church, it's best if we do that in the context of community, 
right, with one another. To encourage one another, to celebrate with one another, to weep and to cry and to mourn with one another. Right? This is a body of believers. He is, the, the, this new humanity is called the church. Right? We are so glad you're here. If you're a visitor, we are so glad you're here. And this is really our call as a church, is that we would collectively be about the business of practicing resurrection. I'll just give you one real quick example of how we're going to do this as a people. And it's kind of a change, so it's sort of like an announcement, but not really. Feel me? It's an application. Next week is the last Sunday of the year. Every last, or sorry, last Sunday of the month. And every last Sunday of the month as a church, we invite folks to gather in the chapel and to just pray, nine o'clock before the services. Next Sunday, it's going to be a little different. Next Sunday, there's a neighborhood cleanup that's happening right in our community, right out in front of here, right? It's going from nine o'clock until noon. Well, we have church at 1030, okay? So this is not an excuse to get out of church, all right? But what I would encourage you to do is to practice resurrection next Sunday. Don't wait till next Sunday, of course. You should practice it as soon as you leave. You should be practicing it right now, right? But next Sunday, we can do it together as a people. Nine o'clock, bring some gloves, bring some old clothes, maybe a change of clothes. You know, if you got a little cute for church, that's all right, I feel you. You got to, you know, maybe just take care of yourself, all right? We don't, maybe some deodorant. Deodorant would be nice too, right? Chairs are close. But 9 o'clock, we'll gather here, just meet outside the church parking lot. We'll go clean for an hour, and then we'll come back and, and worship Jesus. It's a, an opportunity for us to practice resurrection together as a people. All right? If you are new here, we would love to get to know you. We'd love to get to know more about you. You've had a chance to see us this morning. We'd love to get to know you. There's cards on your chairs. I would invite you to just fill out some contact information. If there's a way that we could get you connected, get you plugged in, get you connected in this community so you can practice resurrection together, I would encourage you to fill that card out. We won't, odds are we, we'll email you just a couple of times, all right? Put in that, there's a blue box on your way out. You could just drop it in there, okay? We're so glad that you're here. And this resurrection, this story that Jesus rose from the dead is worth celebrating and it's worth participating in every single day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that that tomb is still empty. Lord, we thank you that it's evidence just of your love, Lord, but of your power. Lord, and that you are absolutely true to yourself. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for today. We love you and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.